Noah Newman here for this week's edition of the Precision Farming Dealer Podcast. On this week's episode, Managing Editor Michaela Paulkner goes one-on-one with Joni Wofel, the President and CEO of the Far West Equipment Dealers Association, to talk about the ongoing regulatory battle over autonomous tractors in California. Let's waste no time jumping right in. Here's Joni. My name is Joni Wofel. I'm the President and CEO of the Far West Equipment Dealers Association. We uh, are a advocacy group for equipment dealers in seven states, Arizona, California, Colorado, Hawaii, Nevada, Utah, and Wyoming. All right. So today we're talking about the ongoing regulatory battle over autonomous tractors that's happening in California. Can you start out by giving us an overview of the current California labor code that regulates autonomous tractors and some of the changes that have been proposed to it? In the state of California right now, um, OSHA rules prohibit the use of autonomous or semi-autonomous equipment without a driver, um, unless it's part of a a temporary permit. So it needs to be updated to legally allow operators to use autonomous or driver-optional tractors? Correct. So they need to modify it so that, um, you know, it would permit it um, in the state of California. So what has happened so far in the pursuit of updating the labor code? Well, there's a couple of things happening. And, you know, in California, as, as many people are aware, the labor, the labor movement has a lot of influence in the state. So that's that's part of it. The other part of it is that, um, according to the state, they don't think that there's sufficient safety data that exists based on the use of the equipment um, to develop any type of a um, basis for claiming that it's safe. They're basically saying that you know it, it, there's not enough information and you haven't provided enough testing and safety data to justify um, allowing equipment to operate without a driver at the controls. And that would be any type of equipment as well. That would even include equipment that, um, you know, like sprayers that are, they're all self-propelled, this type of equipment, but some of them don't require an operator at the controls. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, for example, Case a few years ago came out with a driverless tractor. There's not even a cab for it. And then recently, you're probably aware that John Deere also came out with a an autonomous tractor, but it also has a cab. So it does have the ability to operate autonomously with a driver at the controls. And so the state of California currently allows this type of equipment with some operator at the controls. So that means that autonomous equipment in the state of California is being operated as a on a permit, basically, on a temporary permit to provide some of that data. So essentially, Far West um, has been working with other stakeholders in agriculture. We're a member of a, uh, a coalition, the Ag Presidents Coalition in the state of California, and that is agricultural stakeholders, which are growers, processors, farmers. And uh, we got together and, and wrote a letter in support of modifying the regulation, but, um, you know, the board voted against it. 
during the conversation, um, you had quite a few members of the board acknowledged that, you know, this technology is coming, it's not going away, um, and that they are going to need to address it in a meaningful way, probably sooner than later. But based on the rejection of the request, that petition from Monarch Tractor, technically it wouldn't come before the board again for a couple of years. Um, at the same time, they submitted that a legislator in California introduced a bill to address it legislatively, but ended up withdrawing the bill um, because there wasn't support and they knew that it wasn't going to get passed. So that's kind of where it stands now. Um, I know that AEM and uh, some of the manufacturers, this has been sort of an ongoing effort of theirs. AEM has a, um, the Agriculture Industry Electronics Foundation. Um, and they recently held an event where they brought together other people who are experts and have a stake in um, advancing autonomous equipment. And so they've been working for several years to um, basically, you know, evaluate and help advance standards, you know, so that when states and regulatory agencies begin developing or modifying those standards of, of regulations that they're going to be uniform, you know, so that you don't have different standards across different industries, different sectors, different states, different jurisdictions. So that's something that they've been working on. Um, I know that, you know, Far West, um, in addition to, you know, participating with these coalitions, we this year signed on to FIRA USA, which is a new event that came, that's coming to Fresno in October. And part of that for us was to help bring awareness to, you know, new technology, um, advancing the use of this technology and getting people more familiar with it by actually seeing it with their own, you know, getting them familiar with it and I'm interested in it by actually seeing it. Um, they, they're going to have demos of the equipment. And um, it's an opportunity for legislators and regulators to also participate. I know that the group we're working with has extended an invitation to the standards board to attend the event so that they can, you know, see demos of the equipment and ask questions and learn more about it. I would say FUIDA and other stakeholders think that probably the best way to you know move the needle on this is to educate the standards board members with trial programs that focus on specific areas where the technology is needed to protect the workers it's our position that autonomous equipment the advantages of autonomous equipment is that it's worker safety you know we have a labor shortage and fewer people getting into the industry and then there's, um, you know, technology and workforce. So regarding regarding um, worker safety, you know, with fewer people operating machines that can be, you know, used autonomously, you reduce the the you know potential for injuries. And and then there's situations that are just ideal for autonomous equipment, like. Um, pesticide applications, because that also endangers workers. 
So those are, you know, truly, truly advantages of using autonomous equipment. Um, other advantages include, you know, just the application of technology in general and advancing technologies. You know, uh, some of the, the advantages of, of using autonomous equipment would allow, you know, farmers to operate on, you know, possibly a 24 seven basis, which would increase productivity. Um, they can operate under circumstances that they might not otherwise be able to. Has a, uh, we work with the Western Center for Agriculture at UC Davis. And um, we've been talking with them about, you know, updating skills for students to learn how to work on this type of equipment, including like electric powered equipment, because it is going to be different than gas powered equipment. And a lot of this new technology and these and these autonomous technology is going to be taking advantage of the, the electric ev revolution, I guess you could say. <laughs> um, and, you know, that's a that's an important area, too, because it's, it's going to be a different type of technical skills required to work on this equipment. Going back to the safety piece of it, and that was, like you said, the reason that California OSHA rejected the Monarch Tractor petition to begin with. So I know you mentioned education. Do you think it was just a lack of education about autonomy that caused them to think this wasn't safe? Or were they looking for a set number or a like a size of the data set? Did they provide any clarity about why they thought that was too small of a um, data set? They just generally, if I recall correctly, they generally said that they didn't feel that there was sufficient information and, and testing done. And, and keeping in mind that, you know, there's a lot of different types of equipment, right? Different size tractors, different size implements that are all, in, that many in, in different ways are being developed as autonomous or semi-autonomous equipment, right? So developing a standard, you know, there, there's the standard for autonomous and semi-autonomous equipment, but there's also the application of it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's part of it. You know, they recognized that the uh, International Organization for Standardization, ISO, codified a performance standard for safety and principles of design for the manufacturing of highly automated equipment. But they don't think that it has, you know, they basically said, this is Cal OSHA said, that the standard doesn't provide requirements or benchmarks. It does provide definitions, general principles and requirements to address the potential hazards of autonomous equipment. So not enough specificity, I guess, in, in the international standard that would apply, um, you know, to self-driving tractors. Um, AEM uh, said in their, you know, letter to the, to Calosha that um, there is, you know, a list of, of features that autonomous equipment um, would have to address the concerns that they were voicing. So what do you see as the next steps in the effort to update the labor code to uh, meet that kind of specific safety 
data that the board was looking for and then ultimately allow for autonomous tractors? Well, discussions that we're having with people is that there, you know, that we we need to increase opportunities to educate the standards board members and possibly even your legislators through uh, trial programs that focus on specific areas where the technology is needed to protect workers. And so that would be the example that I gave you of pesticide applications. Working in high heat areas um, or wildfire, wildfire smoke and that type of, it just is, you know, application, applications in agriculture that, that pose a danger to workers, that those are probably some of the better opportunities to demonstrate and do trials and demonstrate the safety of autonomous equipment. Do you think that once the board starts to get that understanding of how autonomous equipment can remove some of that hazard to workers, that it's going to be relatively easy to pass the updated regulation? Or do you think you have a hard fight ahead of you guys? Well, I I think it is going to be a hard fight. Yeah, so... So members of the board uh, who are affiliated with labor unions criticized um, Monarch in its petition for not including union stakeholders in their experimental trials. So, and there were quite a few um, opposing this petition. The California Labor Federation, the California Legal Assistance Foundation, WorkSafe and Operating Engineers. If there is a hope for this to advance, then they're definitely going to have to engage labor in these trials. It can't, you know, you've got to have some of these labor stakeholders in the state of California, you know, being more open-minded and willing to um, willing to engage on it and willing to um, work together. Because, you know, when it, if you go purely from a safety standard, it's pretty hard to deny that some of this technology and autonomy um, is going to improve the safety and health of, of uh, farm workers, you know, by not being exposed to pesticides or, you know, the dangers of equipment. So I think that that, you know, that has to be part of the discussion, you know, to um, in, when you educate people about it. And I think that, that you know, the FIRA event is a good opportunity for them to be on the ground and see it. Because it's one thing, you know, to hear about it, to read about it, to even watch it on TV. But where you're actually in the field where it's operating, I think it's a it's a different experience. I think that's going to be necessary. And then I think there's also the market. One thing in some of the discussions that I've had with people and heard people, you know, at, at events um, talking is that the state of Arizona is actually uh, embracing it and not just embracing it, but advancing it. And so when the technology is embraced elsewhere outside of California, then obviously it's going to advance quicker. There's a, a company, I don't know if you're familiar with it. I don't remember reading it, reading about this in the, the special that, that farm equipment did, but um, there's a company called uh, Raven industries mm -hmm. uh, has two test sites here in the state of Arizona. And uh, they recently just opened an office in Arizona to, um, 
to focus on it more. And uh, so, you know, there's a couple of, uh, actually, I don't remember where I read it, but I recently read somewhere that the state of Arizona is actually embracing not just autonomous equipment, um, but also um, the transition to electric vehicles without mandates, you know, that they're just, uh, they just recognize it. And so um, there's a couple of companies, I believe here, the climate here is more open to it. And um, so, you know, it's just a natural way of the economy. You know what I'm saying? What's the benefit then to Arizona and dealers there in particular to be in this place that's embracing it as opposed to California seems more hesitant to do so with the move to reject the petition and the comments that the board had made in doing so? Well, like one of the one of the farmers who was talking about it said, you know, that that it's going to advance more quickly in the state of Arizona than it is in the state of California, uh, which is unfortunate because, you know, as you're probably aware, California um, is the largest ag economy in the country, which would benefit, I think, substantially more. And I think another thing to point out is, you know, going back to workforce, you know, the reality is, is that um, the industry is struggling to, to, um, to recruit, I think, young people into, you know, service tech positions and, and, uh, and, and it goes across the trades. It's not just in equipment. It's in construction. It's in a lot of different trades. And um, you're seeing, I think that's a driving factor be- behind a lot of this autonomous equipment. Because that that heavy lift and that you know um, hard labor um, is something that you know you have a certain certain people who are willing to do that. I shouldn't say willing, but there's some people who love it. But I think there's a recognition that you know schools have been encouraging people to go to college versus pursue the trades, and so there hasn't been a balance in that area, and that's a place where. I think this type of equipment, autonomous and semi-autonomous equipment is going to fill that niche. So, so what that means is that the people who are working on that equipment are going to have a have, have to have a higher level of technical expertise, which is, you know, which is a really good opportunity for um, educational and training institutions to um, design curriculum that people can pursue to work in these areas. Just to kind of circle back on some of the things you touched on, um, what what do you think it says to other states that California, the state with the largest ag economy in the country, rejected this petition for autonomous tractors? California, you know, we have a lot of dealers in California. Uh, We have more dealers in California than our other states, obviously, because it's the large ag economy and because it's a large state. There are a lot of policies that the state of California is implementing and enacting that are that are really challenging across the board. You know, I mean, you see right now where um, they've struggled for years to have sufficient power on their grid, and yet they're they're pushing for electrification of everything. 
And um, and as you've probably been following in the last few days, their power grid is strained. You know, and so what I would say is that people that I'm communicating with in the state of California are really challenged to do business. And I think this is another reason why the farmers um, are pushing hard for, I'm going to say not just the farmers, but the growers, because there's a few groups um, in the state of California um, that were in that article that I wrote who, are, who have been very active in this, you know, the Farm Bureau, the grape growers, um, Western growers. And uh, I think that they have really valid concerns that with all the challenges that the state of California poses with regard to labor and regulation and water, that they see this as um, a very viable solution that's going to allow them to not just, you know, produce, but in some cases, potentially even stay in business, you know, as, as costs and challenges increase. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you have a really huge, like in the state of California, I think for farmers, and obviously I'm not a farmer, but I would say that regulation and challenges with water and pesticides are probably their top um, regulatory challenges. And that, you know, with autonomous equipment, it would reduce, you know, again, like we talked about earlier, it would reduce their farm workers' exposure to pesticides, which is a health issue. And, um, and even in, in the Central Valley of California, it's long been an issue with pesticides because, because the application of pesticides would get in the water and in the soil and blow in the, in the, in the air. You know, so it creates health issues well beyond uh, the farm worker. Mm -hmm. so, you know, I mean, it just, it just seems natural that you would be more willing to embrace this type of technology uh, to improve worker safety is what I believe, you know, the board is more likely to embrace. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Going back to the labor stakeholders, is Monarch or any of the other parties um, using autonomous equipment, working with labor stakeholders going forward to address that piece or the, that concern from the board? You know, um, I, I don't know. I read um, an article, I think it was after the board hearing in AgriPulse, I believe it was. And um, the article itself really talked more about, you know, the frustration at not embracing the technology. Then I, I'm not aware of whether um, they are in, engaging it, but I can, I think it's safe to say that you know, when a board like the Cal OSHA board rejects a petition, you know, um, that the petitioner uh, would would take the comments and the outcome and uh, and determine how to move forward in a way that is going to encourage the board the next time a petition comes before them. And then I think, was there anything else you wanted to add about uh, either the petition or anything related to autonomous tractor regulation? 
you know, what I found difficult in our role in this issue, you know, in following this and in advocating about it is that the, the autonomous equipment and semi-autonomous equipment are, it's new technology. And um, while manufacturers have, you know, like AEM, as I was saying earlier, AEM has, a, you know, a task force or a group that is, I think, trying to corral manufacturers into developing unified standards, right? So um, I think the challenge though is there's so many different types of equipment and technology and a lot of it isn't necessarily being developed in the United States. I mean, that's what the point of FIRA is, is that a lot of that technology is being developed outside of the United States. And um, obviously if they want to sell the equipment in the United States and they're gonna have to, they're gonna have to make it to the standards um, that the different jurisdictions where it operates are going to be um, I'm so, let me go back They're, You know, if, if they're making this equipment in outside of the United States, they're going to have to comply with what is required in the United States and in the jurisdictions where that equipment is going to operate. Right. Which I think is another bit of a challenge because I'm sure you're aware that a lot of equipment, agricultural equipment comes from outside of the United States. Right. It was interesting when I was reading about Raven in Arizona. Um, because Raven is based in South Dakota, but they were bought by it was a Raven was a public company generating net sales of 348 million in 2021, but it was acquired by UK-based CNH Industrial. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, it was interesting because you know, it, and, and what it did is that a lot, and that's what we're finding, and I'm seeing in in. Um, and FIRA that we found challenging is that um, a lot of the equipment, I need to think of a way to say this. I mean, you probably are aware of this. Um, I've only been in, you know, this, what I'm doing now for the last five years. My mom's family were farmers, but I haven't been actively engaged in agriculture my life. I know that um, when I, when I'm seeing and as I, we get more familiar with autonomous and robotic equipment, um, a lot of the technology is retrofitting uh, current equipment. And so I know that one of the goals uh, of this, you know, acquisition of Raven was to do as John Deere has done, and that is to basically integrate the technology into the equipment when it's built rather than retrofit it. Mm hmm and I think that will make it a lot easier to develop standards um, because, you know, if you already have the equipment and it's being integrated in, into it instead of retrofitted, then that changes a lot of things, right? So do you think that the John Deere's and the CNH's, the people that are integrating autonomy into the equipment will have an easier time when it comes to the regulatory process? Well, I, I think that's, you know, they are better equipped to answer that than me. I mean, they are the the experts, um, but it makes sense, you know, because the equipment that they're integrating, I know that from people that I've talked to, you know, there's certain technology that's rather standard, I guess, across the industry, sprayers, fertilizers, seeding, those types of things. 
that they're integrating into the equipment itself because it's what makes sense and it's efficient. And so I think that in doing that, you know, obviously they're trying to develop uniform standards across the board. Mm -hmm. I would imagine that I would imagine that manufacturers see that as the path forward because you won't have to do as much testing on each individual implement if you're if you're integrating some of the functions into the equipment itself. Right. That makes sense. And as you know, I mean, all of them have been acquiring companies that were like this, where it, it was a company that provided a, a certain type of product or service and, you know, Deer or CNH or other manufacturers are acquiring those companies so that they can take control of, of the development of that technology. Thanks to Joni Wofell and Michaela Paulkner for this week's edition of the Precision Farming Dealer podcast. The full transcript of this episode is available at precisionfarmingdealer.com slash podcast. And you'll also find our full library of episodes there, too. So check it out. For all of us here at Precision Farming Dealer, I'm Noah Newman. Thanks for listening.